It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for being with me this morning. Last week, I talked about being on Vancouver Island on a show I titled Dads and Daughters, and a number of you contacted me to ask, first of all, about how difficult it was to get into Canada, Vancouver Island, or anywhere in Canada, and secondly, a little bit more about Vancouver Island. So I'm going to start there before I move on to other news of the day which uh, I hope you will find of interest. First of all, getting into Canada was was not difficult, provided you were prepared. Uh, We had to fill out online a uh, Canada pass, which showed that we um, had, first of all, our passports, but secondly, had to provide pictures of our COVID certifications and the number of shots taken and when they were taken. So if you're not vaccinated, you're not going to Canada. Uh, They have made that very clear, and that is the number one stipulation for going to Canada. So regardless of how you feel about vaccines, Canada said if you're not vaccinated, you're not coming. And this this online application has to be submitted, uh, has to be applied for, submitted before you get to Canada when you arrive at customs. They enter your name into the computer, and up it pops. So um, that's the first hurdle, which is which is new. Also, there may be a random COVID testing for you. Uh, X number of people, I have no idea how they decide. It's probably generated by some uh, computer system. You simply get pulled out of line, and you're told to go stand over here. Did not happen to us, thankfully. But uh, you are pulled out of line, stand over here, and you are going to have a COVID test done. So. Getting into Canada is, uh, that's, that's what you have to do when you go to Canada. Coming back from Canada, no such issues. You simply need your passport and you're back in the United States. So that's the first part of it. The second part is the U.S. dollar is very strong right now against the Canadian dollar. So it's a great time to go to Canada, provided you're either willing to complete the paperwork or have taken your vaccine. Vancouver Island, as I mentioned, is stunning. There is great fishing. There is terrific hiking. There's great sea kayaking, great boating. I know it's a long way from here, but as we look at things to do um, this summer and into the coming year, uh, Vancouver Island is should certainly be on on the radar if you're willing to go to Canada. It is spectacular. So that's that's what some of you asked me to respond to. That's my response. Uh, if we had gotten COVID in Canada, life would be very different. Uh, I think you do have to be willing to recognize that you could be stranded there for quite a while. Um, if you get COVID in Canada, that is that is one of the concerns about leaving the country anywhere you go. Um, but uh, it is possible to go. They were happy to have us. Um, although I would comment that uh, everywhere we went, we found Canadians were vastly more concerned about COVID than we were uh, here in the United States. Uh, And that includes being even in places like Chicago. Uh, If you've been in rural America, you will find it quite restrictive. 
Uh, face masks are worn in a lot of places. And uh, there's a lot of fist bumping. There is virtually no handshaking. I never saw anyone hug each other. Canadians, uh, particularly at least on Vancouver Island, uh, appear to still be um, treating COVID as though they want to pretty much stay apart from each other. Uh, with that said, we had a great trip, as I commented last week. So let me move on to talk about something that is, is I think, is rather incredible. And that is, I've often talked about the Pittman-Robertson Act on the air, which is the excise tax on firearms and ammunition that was passed, oh gosh, it was passed in 1937. And it's called the Wildlife Restoration Act, the Pittman-Robertson Act, PR Act, in other words, of 1937. And it was signed by Franklin Roosevelt that provides funding for the restoration and improvement of wildlife habitat and wildlife management research. Um, through an 11% federal excise tax on shotguns, rifles, ammunition, archery equipment, as well as a 10% tax on handguns. Um, this has been the primary funding of, of conservation, both the restoration of land and the acquisition of land for wildlife and for hunting and fishing and public use in America. It's created... Um, a total of over $25 billion, if with a B, $25 billion have been, have been provided through this excise tax, which is totally supported by people who buy firearms and hunting equipment, ammunition. So it's a tax on ourselves. And if you don't hunt and have never bought a firearm or any ammunition, you have never paid this tax. If you do own a firearm, you paid it when you purchased it. 11%. If you bought a handgun, you paid 10%. Obviously, unfortunately, the people who are buying handguns illegally and causing so much of the mayhem that's, that, that, that is going on in our society, they're not paying the Pittman-Robertson excise tax. They're getting handguns from one illegitimate source after another because uh, many of the individuals who have handguns obviously couldn't, couldn't get them otherwise. But for law-abiding citizens like us, um, this tax, and it's been worth $25 billion. Uh, and in 2021, it set a record, $1.5 billion. So think, it's been around since 1937. And in, in one year, 5% of the revenue were, were, were created alone. And that 2021 was ahead of 2020. It's been going up consistently in recent years. So it came as an enormous surprise. And, and frankly, shows that you have to question some of the people we elect to Congress. We, we often talk about that. I don't understand this one. A Republican congressman, Andrew Clay from Georgia, which you know better, he introduced a bill titled Return, Repealing Excise Tax on Unalienable Rights Now, or our Constitutional Rights Act, H.R. 8167. It would eliminate the Pittman-Robertson excise tax. His argument, the excise tax and firearm munitions for Second Amendment rights. The problem with this argument is sportsmen and women, including all kinds of conservation groups, vehemently disagree with him. So I would say that this is going absolutely nowhere. But as I talked about a couple weeks ago when the Supreme Court in New York voted 5-2 to two to say that elephants were, did not have the same rights as humans, uh, and you, you wonder who the two justices are um, 
who thought they did. Um, in this case, you got to wonder what this congressman's trying to do. All he had to do was ask any of his colleagues, particularly his Republican colleagues, this is not a partisan issue, but he had to ask any of his colleagues, hey, is the Pittman-Robertson Act, it's been around a long time, is it a good idea? And I think every single one of them would have said, it's a great idea. And look, here's one line you can talk to. You can just simply call a pretty good store and ask them, what do you think about Pittman-Robertson? And they'll tell you it's been the core of making a lot of things possible. Or call Ducks Unlimited or any organization. He didn't do that. So whether he's grandstanding because he wants attention, this isn't the kind of attention you want to have to gut or eliminate the single most successful thing that's ever been done in the United States to advance the acquisition of, of lands and the management of lands and provided $25 billion in revenue. So anyway, I, I don't think it goes anywhere, but why am I taking time this morning to even shine light on it? I'm doing so because it demonstrates, frankly, the, the, the complete lack of understanding of people in Congress. Uh, and I don't know why this can, I don't know how this can really happen that he could introduce a bill like this. I suppose you can do any bill you want, but I would hope that, that he's straightened out pretty quickly. And he clearly is not a friend of, uh, of ours, uh, trying to, uh, take away something which we all voluntarily agreed to have put on ourselves and pay. Um, so anyway, that's enough about representative Andrew Clyde of Georgia. When I come back from the break, I'm going to talk about a lake that was two lakes that might be joining that category of a lake that was. And also, if I have time, I'm going to talk about a really interesting article on, uh, on fire suppressants and the cost of suppressing fires uh, in America. By the way, the cost last year of the retardant alone, $200 million. I'll be back in just a moment. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message for our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you for being with me as promised before the break. I was going to talk about a lake that was and two lakes that, well, they might not be. So quite a while ago, like 50 years ago, Lake Owen in California was a magnificent estuary, thriving wetland system north of Los Angeles. 
in the Sierra Nevadas. Well, Los Angeles drained it dry. And Lake Owen today is a toxic dump that they actually, believe it or not, this is true, they have sprinkler systems that they put on the old lake bed to try to keep the dust down because the dust has so many bad chemicals in it, naturally occurring, a lot of the, a lot of the material. So Lake Owen is gone. It has been for quite a while. Further to the north, and it was considered, although it was early on, to perhaps be the largest staging lake for waterfowl and wetland-dependent birds uh, in California. Further north, along the Oregon-California border, there's a lake called Tule Lake, T-U-L-E, or Tule Lake. And north of that is Klamath, and the Klamath Basin is Klamath Lake. Those two lakes provide the Pacific Flyway with a large percentage of the habitat needed for migratory birds. The drought in California and the Pacific Northwest has dried up these two lakes to the point where they are in danger of also going bone dry. Now, they can come back because of the irrigation and water return systems that have been put in place if the West were to become wet again, which someday it will, but if the West were to become wet again, then these two lakes would um, would theoretically replenish themselves and serve as major migratory bird stopovers. The problem is, in the meantime, these lakes are going dry. And with it, puts in peril a depending on the numbers you want to believe, anywhere from 20 to 30 to 40 percent of the birds that travel, the migratory birds that travel the length of the Pacific Flyway. So from Alaska to Chile, birds utilize Klamath Falls, Tool Lake uh, ecosystems. They're national wildlife refuges. They're fairly large ecosystems. Uh, They utilize these ecosystems, but they can't now. And last year, the count should have been several million birds in the fall using using this ecosystem, and it was just a couple hundred thousand. So where do several million birds go? They have to fly further for food. It's not that far from the Great Salt Lake as a bird would fly. Um, they could use the Great Salt Lake, but as you've heard on the show me talking about, and there's also been quite a bit written about it recently, the Great Salt Lake is, is about half the size it was 40 years ago. It's not providing the habitat it once did. This area is, is, it's safe to say, this area is is just being wiped out. And it's being wiped out, of course, because too much water is being taken from these lakes to be able to service population and agricultural interests. So these lakes get whatever's left, lowest priority, and as a result, um, there's no water. Something has to change in our world, and part of the difficulty is this is all states' rights issues, which I'm all for, but something has to change so that we value water and wildlife as a sustainable part of our sustainable ecosystem. And we simply cannot tolerate, I don't think, the draining of lakes, whether it be the Great Salt Lake or these lakes, to have them diminish to the point where they are threatening uh, the very well-being of of the continental 
uh, bird population, which is taking place in the western half of the United States. And also, they're just simply threatening the environment because if these lakes dry up, and these are these are lakes that cover thousands of square miles, um, the toxins released from these lakes foul our air. So I don't know how this is going to be resolved. We have tribal issues, very significant tribal issues. We have endangered species issues to do with fish. We have water rights issues and private property rights issues in California and Oregon. But and in Utah, they have the same issues. But we are, are looking at the elimination in the western part of the United States of several of the most important, ecologically important wetland ecosystems on our continent, if not the world. And we're looking at it because we simply have taken too much water out of the system and sent it elsewhere. We are, we've had drought cycles before in the West. Uh, in fact, if, if you were to read Mark Reisner's book, which is, I recommend to anyone, called Cadillac Desert. Let me repeat that, Cadillac Desert. Unfortunately, Mark Reisner's deceased, but he wrote, he wrote the seminal book on water in the West. And you don't have to be, you're not reading it for science. You're reading it for human interest, Cadillac Desert. And we, we really learn how the wet water in the West and here in the Midwest, we, we spend more time talking about flooding than we do lack of water. But water in the West uh, was appropriated, in other words, was allocated at a time when the West was very, very wet. A 40-year period, the beginning of the last century, the West was extremely wet and, and, and unprecedented, frankly, for the previous eight to 900 years, maybe we're reverting somewhat to the norm now, but the result is we have, we have really serious issues coming our way, not only coming our way, they're here. And Ducks Unlimited, I know, the Fish and Wildlife Service, I know Audubon are, are, are absolutely frightened at the possibility of these major migratory uh, staging areas and wintering areas going dry. Because if the birds don't have a place to winter, even though they have wings, they don't have a place to winter, they're going to not do very well returning to the breeding grounds, and the mortality is going to be extremely high on these birds. So, not good news. I like to have always present a story with a solution. The solution here, I think, is we've got to go back to the drawing board and say this is not 1880 when we allocated these water rights. This is 2022, and... We've got to do something now before we lose it all out west. Uh, as I sign off, I do want to talk next week about fire retardants, which is fascinating because little did I know how dangerous fire retardants are when they get into our river systems because they're loaded with um, they're loaded with nitrogen. But I'll leave you with this one thought: We spent two hundred million dollars on fire retardants alone last year, fighting wildfires in the United States. That's 50% more than we spent in 2015. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'll be back next Sunday morning with much more in the great outdoors. Thanks for listening. This is Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.